As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Thanks again to the Norden Group. Glad to be back here for another week, uh, getting back into the swing of the things post-holiday. Um, I've I failed pretty hard on my some of my holiday goals to eat well and write a lot, but well, you yeah. got the rest of the year to make up for it. So. Rest of the year to make up for it. Thanks as always though to uh, to the Norden Group. Glad to be back here, back on the normal schedule. Um, you know, like I said, as always, if you guys have uh, seven or eight figures of investable income kicking around, give those folks a call. Um, if you have, uh, maybe four figures of investable income, maybe talk to me about spending it on a bike. How about that? That sounds good. There you go. So today's pretty exciting because tomorrow is going to be our 2023 Maybird meeting. And the, a lot of the stuff we're talking about today, we're going to encourage the new writers to, to listen to this podcast. Encourage so. slash require. So um, welcome to those of you who don't usually listen. Um, this is really just a, a bit for us to pump our stats on rss.com because I like to see that little number of how many people are listening. But if you're not a regular listener, if this is your first time, um, I hope today will be useful. This is less us waffling. This is all pretty practical stuff we'll be going over today, I hope. Wait, we usually waffle? I think we waffle. No. Well, half of us waffle. Well, no, that's that's not true. A hundred percent of us waffle. Well, we, I mean, it's not waffling. It's just like, you know, stuff that like is is pretty like, I don't know, somewhat high level. Not high level, like things that only really nerdy people care about. This is, I think, pretty, pretty ap- applicable to just about anybody. See, I'm just really disagreeing with about everything you just said. But <laughs> see, we're gonna switch roles today. Um, usually, how usually how the podcast works is we start out with a quiz where Joe asks me questions about cycling that aren't necessarily important okay. and and we see how I, anyways may I, I usually don't do too well Dan, Dan's batting average is like one in three how do you say batting averages in baseball I, I don't think that's how they say it's not like a fraction it's a it? 375 I don't know that just sounds like Dan's a, batting Dan Dan gets about 33 <laughs> percent of the questions right one in three so um and then and then after that usually Joe will talk about some type of uh bike tech related or bike racing current event type things just to keep everyone kind of current on the bike culture. And then we actually launch into stuff that's important that, you know, we're, we switch from the marginal gains to the maximal gains at that point. And we, I resent that, but you're not wrong. We, we talk about fitness and training switch from the and cool stuff to the nerdy stuff. It's just point of view perspective. So, but we're totally switching roles today. Um, I'm actually going to give Joe a quiz that has to do more about training and physiology. 
and then I'm going to ask Joe the questions, and we're gonna, we're actually going to be talking about purchasing a bike, and um, and that'll be the main meat and potatoes of this episode. Um, something that we think is super important. I think some people get wrong and and spend their money ineffectively. So I think a lot of people get wrong. So yeah. so we'll we'll. So we'll start with, should we start with the quizzes? Are there any current events that you think we need to be? I think aware? the only current event right now is the World Tour Team Kits came out. I don't know if you saw on Maybert, I ran a little. Yeah, that was kind of fun. Review. That was kind of, a, a lot of people disagreed with me. I didn't like hardly any of them, to be it's, honest. I think we're kind of in like a rut with like professional team kits now where most of them look good, but most of them are pretty boring. was kind of my I take. like boring. Interesting. Did you have a favorite of all those kits? I can't remember which one it was, but not really. I didn't love any of them, to be honest. Really, um, I usually like education first kits. Theirs are always good. I think um, I judge them. Their bar is so much higher for me, though. Like their kit is is the best, but I don't think this one is the best they've done. Um, Bora Ansgro gets a huge shout out for me. I think that kit looks the green one with the red on it. All I, I know is I like good. the Maybird kits better. So. Yeah, I didn't put us up for obvious reasons. Um, and, and I should say really quick on that, there are more world tour team kits coming. And then when the cross country season starts, I said, I was going to do world cup. And then I realized none of the mountain bike teams, even the Scott team, I don't think has put out like their new kit. Well, specialized did. So once more mountain bike team kits come out, I'll do those. And then SD works dropped theirs right as I finished. So I feel bad, you know, no snub there. They're awesome. I'll do them later. But the only other piece of current events that you should know about is the Titanic Vanderpool Pidcock Van Art cyclocross battle that's playing out every single week. That's have you been following that at all? Nope. It's it's great. No one's dominating between the two. Oh wow, that's cool. Vanderpool's winning one, Van Art's winning one, Vanderpool Van Art, Pidcock every once in a while. Um Pidcock has seemed to come off the worst. He doesn't seem to have the pace of uh, Van Art and Vanderpool, but you know, go watch that on yeah, your that own. Would be, go figure the, out yeah, whatever, that would be an exciting trio to watch. Figure out whatever pirated Eurosport stream you can watch that on, because we're here in North America, or I guess it's GCN these days, huh? That's where you watch it. Go watch it on GCN. Don't pirate it. We don't endorse pirating. Um, well, should we? Uh, let's do the quiz. Should we do your quiz? Let's embarrass. Let's embarrass me for a change. Okay. Okay. So I asked you if you wanted it to be hard or easy. And he said he wanted it to be kind of hard. So if he gets the questions wrong, he won't look bad. Right. So, so these are, I'd say these are a little bit hard. Okay. So, okay. The first question, and these are physiology training related questions. Okay. The first question is what is coactivation? Coactivation is when you use multiple muscle groups at once. Okay, that's good. Was that actually it? Well, okay, so it, Wait, no, really, kind of. So basically, it's when you have, when I'd like to say that the confident delivery there did not come from actual confidence. That was me <laughs> making my best guess. I have no clue what coactivation is. So coactivation is when you have a muscle that's contracting and an opposite muscle contracting at the same time. So it it lessens the effect of the main contracting muscle. Basically you have muscles that are kind of fighting against each other. And as your coordination and efficiency improves, um, coactivation decreases. So what I'm hearing is I was not right. I was only right in the regard that it had something to do with muscles. Because The way like, you answered it and you looked like you knew the answer, I couldn't tell you it was wrong. See, like, that's how I got through all of school. Because um, <laughs> no, I, I had two hypotheses. I'm like, Okay, it's either something to do with muscles because that could have to do with muscles, but it could also be like enzymes and proteins or something. But I'm thinking it's probably muscles. So I just I was like, hey, why not be 100 percent confident? And I yeah. was like 50 percent right. And so. our last podcast actually talked about 
um, it, well, strength training and and like bikes, um, neuromuscular type drills can help improve, can help decrease coactivation. Okay. So yeah, so that was. I'll could, give myself half points on that. Yeah. I think I deserve. Okay, this one is what is the size principle? <laughs> it's not the size that matters; it's how you use it. <laughs> <laughs> can we keep that i don't know can we keep that the size principle um um i i have no idea i have no clue that could be made up for all i know i don't remember okay what is the so size the size principle? principle is basically in in re recruiting motor units you always start with the smallest motor units and you gradually increase larger mu larger motor units larger as meter units <laughs> as the demands increase. Have so we, have we talked about that on the podcast. Yeah, we did. How long ago? Not too long ago. You know, so if you're doing something really light <laughs> that, that requires low torque, um, you're using your smallest motor units. Is you're doing something that requires high torque, you continue to use your small motor units, but you use the larger motor units as well. Well, you learn something new every day. Okay, you that, might learn the same new thing every day if you're me. Um, <laughs> give, give me one more. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing well. This here. one should be easier. Okay. Oh, boy. Don't say that. All right. Okay. What are the three muscle types? The th uh, fast twitch, slow twitch, and or, am I right so far? You're close, but not, not what I was looking for. Wait, hang on. Muscle types. I'll give you a clue. Type. Light meat, dark meat. <laughs> yeah, actually, and yeah. Is it actually? Is well... It, is it type one, two, and three? I don't know. Okay, so there's type one. There's type two A. Type two B? And in technically it's two X. Two B is actually in, in animals. Oh. Um, but it's similar. That's that's kind of splitting hairs. It's technically two X in humans. And um, like a quarter of a point on that one, I think I deserve. Yeah, and, and just as a side note, the uh, the slow twitch muscles, the type one, that's actually the dark meat. Like in, in chicken and turkey. Interesting stuff yeah, for all you, you cannibals go. out there. <laughs> um, shout out to our cannibal listeners. That I didn't do well. How hard were those questions? Those weren't that hard, were they? I think they were kind of hard. Like, I, I thought the last one would be pretty easy. I, I, we talked about the size principle, but I figured you probably just forgot about that. Yeah. Um, so... I think it was a little hard. I was hoping to do a little bit better, but I guess this is this how you feel every single week. Yeah. Kind of. Okay. Yeah, this not, is humbling. It puts me fun. in my place. Okay. All right. All right. Fair should enough. we, should we switch over to the meat and potatoes? This feels so weird. Switch. It's funny because we're actually sitting in different seats. I'm today. sitting in, I, so I'm sitting on the couch where Dan usually sits and he's sitting on a chair in front of me. And it's crazy. This posture makes you so much more like relaxed and, you know, I'm laying back instead of sitting down and I like this. I get used to this. Yeah, it's kind of. Okay. So and it was nice too, cause I didn't have to do any prep for this show. I just kind of showed up and yeah, yeah it's. Yeah. And, and I, I, sh I should explain, this is kind of a, not a two part release cause I'm not gonna really say that half as a podcast, but I've put a lot of thought this year into resources to make this whole process easier for people. I will say now, if you go to our website, there is going to be a video to watch and then a Excel sheet that you can download. And I have cataloged all 350 cross country mountain bikes that you can buy in North America, not even North America, in the United States right now. Um, I've gone through every single bike you could possibly consider, new bikes, 
and I have cataloged them, given them points based on what components they have, and then created a system to score how good the value prop is. And okay, and and this is kind of sad and impressive at the same time. Most of what I do is because Joe. I mean, he spent at least. 40 hours on this at thing. least it's it's been like it's, over a month I've been yeah this is a big project he's been working on it's it's actually pretty cool um it's a very impressive impressive spreadsheet that's got like and, and i kind of looked over how he did it and it seems like it seems like it could be a really valuable tool in determining the value of a bike purchase so right. I, I think this is it's a I think it's it's something I wish more people had access to, but very few people are going to have access to it. But it is it is a cool thing, and I think it's a good resource. And um, so yeah, I th but you 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 definitely would have to watch the. Please the watch video. the video where I explain how to use it. I also have a ton of disclaimers. I hedge so much. Like the point system isn't perfect. You could poke a whole lot of holes in the way I did points. Um, it's and like it's only like that is only the value dimension of the bike buying. Um, experience like it's you need to consider so many other things but for that especially if you're not bike literate and you're not you haven't spent a lot of time in the bike industry um you should check it out and by way of introduction if you're listening to this for the first time a little bit of background is i've i've i worked in the bike industry for about five years right after high school i've since moved into the healthcare industry um because i need to make money and it's much less fun um and i i miss the bike industry sometimes um, but I've, I have a real passion for like bike bikes and bike gear and bike equipment. And like, I'm probably more interested and knowledgeable than just some random dude off the street when it comes to like the training and physiology side and stuff, but that's not what lights my fire. So, um, so today, um, what we're really going to focus, like, like the main purpose of today's discussion is going to be. For those who are going to be investing the money, because it's a huge investment, huge investment, who are going to be investing the money for a bike for cross-country youth racers, um, how you know how to do that well? You know how to how to get the most for your money, how to get a bike that's going to be fun, fast, um, how to avoid some common pitfalls and so forth, and that's that's really kind of the meat and potatoes of of what we're talking about today. This spreadsheet's gonna be a valuable tool in in kind of in conjunction with that. But I um so Joe, I have a bunch of questions and I'm okay. we're just gonna kinda of do this mostly as kind of a question answer type thing. Yeah. If if I don't ask questions, um if I miss anything, just kinda of let me know. But so my first question is well, let me back up just a little bit. Our, you know, Maybird is primarily a cross-country bike racing club. I mean, we have we encourage our riders to do other types of cycling as well. But realistically, what we do is is, is cross-country mountain bike, cross-country like, and endurance mountain bike, and endurance. I would say it's because those are two techni technically two different disciplines. Um, kind of fall under the same umbrella for me. But if you are very new to this, if none of these terms mean anything to you, very briefly, um, there are different types of cycling. I, I always kind of compare it to like track and field. Um, you know, like you, you could say you're a track and field athlete. You'd say you're a cyclist. Neither of those terms mean that much. Um, when I tell people I'm a cyclist, you know, some of them assume I do road biking. Some of them assume I do triathlon. Some of them assume that I huck myself off cliffs, like in Red Bull Rampage. There are lots of different things that fall under the cycling umbrella. And, you know, bikes are, you know, different bikes are kind of like different tools that are suited 
uh, to specific jobs. So I think the first thing to establish is that we're either doing cross-country mountain bike racing, we're looking for mountain bikes that are, are really fast uphill. They need to be lightweight, they have less suspension travel um, than a lot of the mountain bikes that you, you might conventionally associate with mountain biking. Um, and most of the gear that we use is actually more similar to um, road bike equipment. So um, if that is something that we need to explore more, we can do a whole episode on that. Um, but right out of the gates, you have to like, I think it's useful to define what a cross country bike is. Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. As opposed to like a trail bike or an enduro bike or, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of other bikes that fall under the mountain bike category. Right. Um, we specifically deal with cross country bikes, which are designed to go fast, Fast uphill. both ways. Fast both ways. Is, is truthfully, because people are like, oh, cross-country bikes are only good at uphill, which isn't true. You know, like cross-country bikes have to be good everywhere, but cr- cross-country races are won on the climbs. And you can lose them on the descents, I think is, is, the, is the phrase that I like. Um, uh, but, but, you know, mostly focused on climbing. So I want, if you are new to this and you're confused, I want you to get out a pencil and paper and I'm going to write the basic parameters of what defines a cross-country bike. Because it's actually, it's kind of a hotly debated thing right now. You know, there, there are many different things that people would consider So, uh, to be cross-country bikes. So take out that pen and paper, pause it really quick if you need to. A cross-country bike, suspension-wise, is either going to have um, a zero, is going to have somewhere between zero and 120 millimeters of suspension travel on the frame, and between 100 and 120 millimeters of suspension travel on the fork. Um, and that means you've got hardtails, which are bikes that have no suspension out back, and usually 100, 120 millimeters up front, and then full suspensions that have anywhere from 90, 100, 110, 120 out back, 120 up front. There are bikes that bike manufacturers call cross-country bikes that have like 130, even 140 millimeters of travel up front. Um, Those don't fit my definition. I think those are light duty trail bikes and I would not recommend them for the style of mountain biking that we're doing. So what is it that makes a cross-country bike faster than a trail bike? I would say there's there's several things. First off is weight. That's the easy one that is going to be easiest to understand. You know, a lot of people know that like um, if you're a, a casual, like if you're a non-cyclist and you have your cyclist neighbor, you might know that he had, that she has a bike that you can lift up with one finger and it's super, super light. Like I, I think people know that bikes need to be light and that's pretty intuitive. Um, that need is especially pronounced in cross-country racing, but it's not the only dimension that matters. Um, cross-country bikes are also going to be horizontally stiffer in my um, experience. Um, you know, they're going to be designed for good power transfer uh, on a carbon fiber mountain bike. You know, um, like more people are going to ride carbon cross-country bikes than uh, trail bikes. I think like, I don't really like it when people ride aluminum full suspension bikes for cross country, but it's totally acceptable for other disciplines where, you know, like weight and power transfer aren't that important. And then I'd also say that suspension design plays into it. Um, you know, with a shorter travel cross country bike, they're essentially the easiest way to understand it is they're going to be less squishy. You know, I don't know if you've ever ridden a big long travel mountain bike before, but every single time you pedal, the bike squishes way, way down. Right. And that sucks, but it's necessary. You know, if you if you need to um, throw yourself off cliffs or do huge jumps, you need that much travel, and you're gonna have to sacrifice the climbing ability. In cross country, we'll ride pretty gnarly stuff, but there's not really a need for a significant amount of suspension travel. So you're gonna have suspension that has less travel and is stiffer, um, again, so that it's sapping less of your energy. So you'll get some kind of amalgamation of all those things that form something that we would call a cross country. Did you bike. did you mention anything about like geometry? 
That's a tricky one. Um, when we say geometry, we refer to the way that the uh, the, the different like basically the way that the frame is made um, in terms of like the shape it has will affect how a bike rides. Um, there was a time when I could give you, and I think I have in the past given specific numbers to indicate what makes a cross country bike where the easiest one that most people understand is the head tube angle. And that's basically like how far out in front of you the fork juts, right? So if you could imagine riding a bike where the fork uh, and the wheel are like right underneath you, you know, like they stick, they're like um, uh, uh, per uh, perpendicular to the ground. And like, if you imagine riding that bike, it would be very unstable. It would feel like it was always ready to fall over. Right. And then if you imagine like those big chopper motorcycles where the wheels like 10 feet out in front of you, um, you're going to feel very, very stable on that bike. Now, the flip side is that when you have a, what we call a steeper head tube angle and the wheel is kind of tucked closer underneath you, the bike's going to feel a lot more maneuverable. And when it's farther out in front of you, the bike's going to feel more stable. So there was a time when cross-country bikes were uniformly steeper, is, is the way we kind of talk about it. They were steeper than trail bikes and stuff. And that time's kind of gone away where there are some cross-country bikes that have what I would call like traditional or, uh, traditional or conventional geometry. Um, I could start throwing around the numbers, but they wouldn't mean anything. But we kind of have those bikes that are more traditional. But then there are a whole crop of World Cup level XC bikes that have really, really, we, we say progressive geometry that kind of mimics what trail bikes looked like four or five years ago. So I don't really have an on it, like a, a blanket answer for what geometry constitutes a cross country bike. I can tell if you're a bike person right now, I'd say between 70 and 65 degree head tube angles are cross country bikes, but there are a lot of non cross country bikes that fit into that. And there are probably some examples that I'm forgetting that fall outside of that. So I don't know if I can give you an honest answer on geometry anymore, but yeah. Okay. Um, so, so what, okay. So I've, I've been in a bike shop. I was at a bike, a local bike shop mm. not too long ago. Yeah. And a bro was helping obviously a Nike parent and a kid right. buy a bike. And they were looking at like this, um, it was an aluminum full suspension trail bike. I think it had yep. like, probably had like 130, 140 millimeters of right. travel. Can I guess and, what he said? Can I guess what he said? This bike's great at up and down. It climbs just as well. It's a cross country bike, but you can do rowdier stuff on it. He basically, yeah, exactly what he said. He said, this climbs just as well as a cross country right. bike. And, and this kid was like, looked like he weighed like 90 pounds. And I was right. just wishing I could have just jumped in and, and saved the day and be the biggest douchebag in the world. Um, this happens all the time this this is everyone has this story like isn't you've you've heard some version of this how many times yeah i mean can a trail bike race as well as a cross-country bike so um the way i would answer that is could you take a stock toyota camry and do a formula one race with it yes like you you fundamentally yes you can ride that bike. you can drive that car around that track and uh, complete the race. Is it is it going to work very well? No, you know, and that's kind of an extreme example. Um, tra like trail bikes, enduro bikes, and and it's, it sucks because like people do race them, and you can still have a good time and everything, but they're not going to go very fast. And like, candidly, if you're on this team, it's because you want you want more, you want to go faster, you want to push it to the next level. You know, like if I was talking to somebody who's like, oh, I'm going to try the high school mountain bike team, I'd be like, peace and love, brother. Go ride whatever bike. Have a good time. You know, we're, what we're doing is 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 like training people to get faster and to make sacrifices in their personal life to get more sleep, to eat healthier, to 
maybe give up some weekends where you could be hanging out with buddies to go hang out at a race course and do a bike race. And um, that can get undercut really, really severely by having the wrong equipment. Um, for the skiers out there, it would kind of be akin to saying like, oh, like, yeah, these, these park skis, you can totally skin up in these. It's like, that's true, but like, that'd suck. You know, like that's not, that's not, you know, you have touring skis for a reason. And on the flip side, could you do rails and stuff on touring skis? Yeah. Do a lot of people do it? Yeah. Is it ideal? No, not really. And if you're going to focus on that and have that be your emphasis, you don't want your gear to be undercutting you there. Yeah. And I, th I think the phrase that, that comes into play there is the right tool for the job. Correct. You know, I mean, if, if you've got like a wood shop, you know, like, there's specific tools that do specific jobs really well. And, you know, and like if you're limited on the number of tools you have, you can still probably get the job done. Like your, your but, background is in millwork. Could you make a door with just a bandsaw? It's like, yeah, probably. Could you? Yeah, yeah, you know, probably. Yeah. Like, is but it possible? If you sure. have, if you have the right specialized equipment, it, it makes it, it a lot. It just better. makes it. Yeah. And how many times have you been in a Nike race and seen some really fit kid working really, really hard on a bike that weighs 35 pounds with 150 millimeters of suspension travel. And every time they pedal, the bike bobs down two or three inches. How many times have you seen that? Well, let me, <laughs> what if that bike can lock out? Um, so for, first off, more and more they can't. Uh, suspension lockouts are going away entirely on a lot of longer travel bikes. So that's something to consider. Um, even if it can lock out, that bike, I mean, the, the way it's one factor, but also that bike's going to come with tires that aren't really designed for cross-country racing. It would be kind of like doing uh, like another car metaphor here. Like if you were going to try to do a NASCAR race on like mud off-road tires, like again, can you do it? Fundamentally, yes, you can drive, you can drive a car with mud tires around, you know, the Daytona circuit or whatever, but like it's going to sap a lot of your energy. And like that's the whole kind of point of cycling is is uh, bike racing is to get around the fastest and i think the most important factor in getting around the fastest is efficiency right oh, if efficiency is weight huge. weight um suspension efficiency like like suspension bob extra friction from your tires those are all things that are going to rob you of the energy that you're producing right the energy that you're producing is going to be carrying a heavier bike up the hill than it needs to be or you're going to be putting energy into bobbing the suspension um with that longer travel bike again like yeah maybe you could lock it out but the other thing is it's not going to feel very good right you know, like a lot of these bikes that have um, geometry that's designed for like really, really steep drops or crazy, you know, like you go on YouTube and you watch like the GoPro videos, like the stuff those guys are riding, you need those crazy slack angles for the bike to feel really stable and stuff. That translates really poorly when you're on a flat section of a Nike course. It feels yeah. awful. And Nike courses are really, really tame. I mean, you could, yes. I mean, you really don't need full suspension on a Nike. We'll get into that later, but right. yeah, they're... Um, they're definitely on the cross country racing spectrum. The Nike courses are probably the most tame. So yes. if you, if it's like the place where you would least need that type of bike, yet you see them there at the most, right. you know, and, and we encourage kids to do I cups and USAC races that are more technical. But even then I can tell you as somebody who struggled with my descending ability and for a long time was really kind of hampered by poor handling skills. Um, there's a, there's a, there are decreasing returns for, for like having a bigger, burlier bike. Now I will uh, say there was a time 10 years ago, um, when bikes were, when cross country bikes were basically modified road bikes in retrospect and where they were excessively focused on uphill performance to a detriment and you couldn't ride anything very technical at all. The modern crop of cross country bikes are, can I just, I'm going to say something that might sound mean. If you are listening to this and you're not bike literate, 
a cross-country bike is good enough for you. There's nobody listening to this that's digesting this information for the first time that can outride a modern cross-country bike. I know very few people who can. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah, that, that's fair. Like, I mean, you don't need more bike than a cross-country bike if you're new to this, essentially. Uh, yeah, I, I guess there's a lot of people that buy these big bikes that can't really utilize them well. I, I have seen big bikes um, kind of bandage over poor handling skills a little bit going sure. down rough terrain. You know, like I've bit. seen people on the crest and stuff that that have no form or skill whatsoever, but the, the 150 mils of travel does the trick for is them. doing a lot of the work for them. Right. You know, but I, I think that's not the way to go. I think that that skills come before. You know, you have to you have to have the skills. You can't just let the bike do the work for you because right. you're missing out. You know, um, wh one thing I did want to point out is, is I've, I've seen this at least two or three times. I could tell stories like very specific stories and I, of riders who, you know, there was one rider who kept finishing around sixth place. Yep. I remember the rider and the bikes you're talking about. Yeah. And, and I know at least two identical stories, but, um, this rider kept finishing around sixth place, had a, had a fairly heavy trail-ish kind of bike. Right. Um, probably weighed close to 30 pounds. His bike was having trouble, borrowed the coach's bike. It was which, a Scott Spark. I'm no. actually thinking of another. It was a, it was a Trek Top. It was a Trek, fuel. yeah. It was a Trek Top Fuel 9.9 .9 SL yeah. from 2017, if I remember correctly. And lo, this kid went from like sixth to first. Right. His parents went out like the next weekend. Bottom of a, a, a race bike. So, yeah. And I will say an important distinction to make is once you have the right kind of bike, spending a, more, a little bit more money can help you a little bit, but buying the right kind of bike is the most important part. Like a $10,000 cross-country bike is faster than a $5,000 cross-country bike by a bit. A uh, $5,000 cross-country bike and a $5,000 enduro bike, on the other hand, are vastly different. A $5,000 cross-country bike will be significantly faster in a cross-country um, yeah, kind of like use case than a $10,000 enduro bike. So the right kind of bike is way more important than, you know, and you these, know. these other types of bikes, they have their place, you oh, know, I'm not, I'm not digging on those bikes. Yeah. It's just, and it's, it's not what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, if you're like a, a dad that just likes to go out and ride, mm -hmm. have fun, have fun, a jumps, you're not, you, you know, know, you're not going for comms or, or Absolutely. you know, even yeah. then, I think most people are, are riding bikes that are too big. I think if, if that, if we just described you, if, if you're, if you're um, mom and you got some boys on the team and you want to ride with them occasionally, but you're mostly going out and doing your own rides or whatever, like I would say find a bike with 130 millimeters of travel is a very nice, happy medium and put some burly tires on it. Cause you're not concerned about uphill speed and those will help you on the way down. Yeah. There you go. As a, as a side note there, tires are one of the easiest oh ways to buy speed and oh my gosh burly rarely means faster so yeah and in, in in our discipline right yeah. um so yeah those those are some things to consider but like we're doing like a, a a very specific thing here on this team um and again and i'll say it one more time if you're listening to this and none of this is familiar don't go into a bike shop and think that a cross-country bike's not enough for you because it's not like i can name i think jacob and andrew are good enough to ride big bikes and get something out of them um, on the team. Gosh, I'm not like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I could probably get the most out of 130 mil travel bike. Um, I've been riding bikes every single day for the past, what, what are we up to now? 
15 years, <laughs> 12, 13 years, and I'm not good enough to get that much out of a 150 mil travel bike. So um, they're out there. They're definitely for someone. They're really cool, um, you know, but like uh, don't fall into that trap is maybe that's kind of the biggest point we're, we're making today is, is buy a, a legit buy an actual bike. cross country bike. Yes. Yeah. And don't let the bike shop convince you that this bike climbs just as well. Okay, I hear that all the time. Can I, can I say something <clears throat> kind of arrogant? Like, listen to me, not the guy who works at the bike shop, because I, I understand what we're doing here. Because I, I know a kid that he didn't come from a wealthy family. He, yep. he spent his own money on a bike, went to a local bike shop and bought a 30-pound or a 35-pound mm-hmm. bike that was an aluminum. Yep. 130 mil travel bike Mm -hmm. and like he could not keep up on any of the group rides. He could have been the fittest kid in his group and get dropped every single time. You know, and and it was just sad because someone convinced him that that was a, you know, a bike that would be more versatile and he could, Mm it'd be more fun. And, you know, and, and my thing is, is like, I always hear that these bigger bikes are more fun. I like to have fun on the way up too. just saying. I'm, I'm going to go one step farther. The bigger bike is not more fun. It is more capable. That's all it is. Um, Short travel bikes, I can tell you somebody who rides bikes, are really, really fun. You buy a long travel bike because you need one for the terrain you're riding. So if you're listening to this and you're in British Columbia, yeah, sure. Go for the 130 mil travel bike. Like a lot of stuff in British Columbia, you're going to be way outgunned on a 120 mil travel bike. If you are in Utah, there are very few things. There are precious few trails within driving distance of my house where you're going to be outgunned on a cross-country bike. And most of you listening to this are in Utah. That's And maybe that's a hot take, but like... And, and like, Andrew's an amazing rider, and I hate giving him credit for it, but, but he is. I've seen Andrew ride things on a Cannondale scalpel with 100 mils of travel and, like, a 70-degree head tube angle that most experienced riders couldn't do on an enduro bike. You know, like I totally push back on the notion that bigger bikes are more fun. I don't think that's true. So I think we've done a pretty emphatic job of. <laughs> Do you get what we're saying here? Of expressing that you need to buy an actual cross country bike if you want to do well at cross country races. And right. otherwise, you're kind of wasting some hard earned precious money. Yes. So let's kind of move on to like um, just like the value of, of bikes, you know, like. Um, I mean, how much do you need to spend kind of at like the entry point versus how much is excessive? Is there like a sweet spot? Um, this is really difficult um, because this sport, this sport is, is tricky and I love it and I hate it because it's wonderful, but it's also kind of elitist because it's really expensive. Um, I, I'll answer that question in three parts, the minimum, the, the sweet spot and the maximum I'd spend. Um, I feel bad saying it, but it's it will be a challenge to find a bike for under a thousand dollars that will do a good job. Um, you can do it. I've seen people do it. You will have to buy well used. You'll have to buy used under a thousand dollars. You will have to buy used, and there will be some sort of significant compromise. It might be a really nice bike from fifteen years ago that's falling apart, and will you know. Um, need a lot of love. Um, it might be a, a really, int- like a bike that's really, really heavy. You can do it. You can't do it under 500. Yeah. I'm, I'm skeptical even now of the way the market looks that you can do it under a thousand anymore. Um, from there, there's no way to answer what the sweet spot is. I think 
like I'm I'm kind of tempted to say for hardtails like three thousand dollars and for full suspensions like six thousand dollars is as close as I can get to answering that question. Um, I think your gains start to taper off after the eight or nine thousand dollar point. Um, if you go to my bike guide, there are bikes on it that are fifteen thousand dollars. Um, I think that's kind of silly, um, but I don't really think anybody who considers buying that bike has to worry about value. I think that's for like, you know, if, if you either want it or you don't. If kind your of company just had an IPO that went well, or if you're a Saudi prince, you know, like, I don't know, man, if you're gra- if you're celebrating 30 years since you graduated med school, great. Buy a fifteen thousand dollar bike. I think it's it's not faster than a ten thousand dollar bike, and that so, ten thousand dollar bike isn't that much faster than an eight thousand dollar bike. So just this is you, you probably can't even answer this question. I'll try, but okay. Say you're a rider that's always getting third place on a six thousand dollar bike. How much do you have to spend to buy first place? Like what would <laughs> a a thirteen thousand dollar bike do to you? I mean. Obviously, it depends on how far off second and first place are. Let's say you are third place and you're a minute off the win every single time. I I think if you're on a six thousand dollar bike now, I think you can buy that minute. Minute? I think a minute's huge. I, I, do, I don't. Can. I was gonna say it could buy seconds. I think you could. I don't think you could buy a minute. I think you could buy thirty seconds. I think a minute would be pushing it. I think in the best. If you want to gain scenario, a minute, listen to all of our other podcasts. A minute's excessive. I should say a minute's excessive. I think you could buy thirty seconds. Okay. Which is a huge deal. I mean, in terms of where you finish, and it's not just that. Like, and that's in like. See, I was thinking race. it would buy seconds, but. I don't know. I think and like I, I know which I which matter a lot. Like in, uh, in if, cycling, if, if the race is point to point, you can buy minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If the race is a flat Nike course, like probably not, but. I'll tell you what, at like Snow Basin, which we don't do anymore in Nike, I don't think. I think Snow Basin, you can buy a minute. You know, a bike that's two or three pounds lighter. Okay, yeah, if it's two, two or three, or three p- pounds lighter on a big lo- okay, like suspension yeah, that works true. better. If it's two or three pounds lighter, I think it would on yeah, a climbing course. I, I think so. Yeah, I think, I think it's doable. I will say too that like the way the cycling industry kind of works is that you, you, like the technology is almost uniform at this point. You know, like thousand dollar bikes are coming with 12 speed drivetrains. You know, um, to a certain extent, like you, you buy better technology as you get better, but really for the most part, I feel like you're kind of just buying weight. Well, not buying weight. You're, you're buying the absence of weight, mm-hmm. you know, like an XTR and a D like if you take an XTR, like Shimano's flagship XTR group set and you take their Dior entry level group set, functionally, they're like 80% the same. XTR will feel a little better. Um, in terms of efficiency, they're just about the same in terms of you know, like chain retention, they perform just about the same, but XTR is a heck of a lot lighter. So bikes are sold by the pound, but in reverse. Exactly. I don't know how to say that. That's kind of hard to say. But yeah, like, um, and and so like that $6,000 example, I'm kind of assuming like, let's say uh, you're on a $6,000 Cannondale scalpel versus a $12,000 Cannondale scalpel or a $10,000 Cannondale scalpel. That six thousand dollar one might have carbon wheels these days. Um, it 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 will have a one by twelve drivetrain. Um, it'll have hydraulic brakes. It'll have all the same things that the ten thousand dollar one does. But that ten thousand dollar bike, um, and we'll talk about wheels. I'm sure you have questions. The wheels will be better. That's a huge deal, like a huge huge deal. And they won't just be lighter; they'll be stiffer. Um, you know, you, you're going to get, uh, obviously the, uh, the group set will be lighter. The brakes will be lighter. You might get a carbon fiber handlebar. 
um, which will help the bike feel better. You'll you'll fatigue less. Um, you know, it's like there there are things other than the weight that are going to improve when you spend more. But you, weight's the big one. You know, and then an interesting thing about weight and youth cyclists is for like us. 40, 50, 60 year old guys and gals, you know, we all have like 10 or 15 pounds we could probably lose, you know, right? And, you know, yet we're the ones that are spending an extra $5,000 on a bike to lose a pound on the bike, you know, but with, with a lot of the youth riders, they really don't have any, they don't have any weight they could lose. They, they right. need to almost gain weight if anything, most of right. them, you know, and, and, like and if, yeah, sorry, you carry on. I keep it, cutting you off. No, I mean, you know, so I, I think with these kids, you know, weight is very critical. Let me speak to a few people listening to this right now. Let's say you're listening to this and you are the parent of a child who weighs about a hundred pounds. <laughs> buying them, let me do the math here. I weigh about 185 pounds. So buying your kid, if they're a hundred pounds at 30, we'll say if their kid weighs a hundred pounds, bike weighs 30 pounds. Math is easy, right? 30% of their weight. I weigh 185 pounds. That would be like me riding a bike that weighs 55 pounds. Can you imagine, Dan, you weigh a little more than me probably? Barely. There, <laughs> just kidding. You, like, we'll say a 60-pound bike. What would it be like for you to go on a bike ride with a 60-pound bike? Okay, honestly, it would take, like, all the fun out of it. That's what was going to be my follow-up question. Would it be fun to ride a 60-pound bike? No. No. If you have a kid and you can't figure out why they hate cycling so bad, and every time you get them like, hey, come off of the couch, we come ride bikes, like, no, I don't want to go, it's not fun. They're probably right. It isn't fun because you've purchased a 35-pound bike, or they're using dad's old bike that weighs 35 pounds, or mom's old bike that weighs, you know, 35 pounds. And it's it's not fun for them because that bike is a third of their body weight. Um, this happens all the time. It happens all the time, and it drives me nuts. You know, like your kid that weighs 85 pounds and probably shouldn't be out of a car seat does not need an enduro bike. Especially when the, when the dad's riding an S works and the kid's riding. Peace and love, man. It's your money. The the amount of times I sold a bike and I have, I have 10 pounds to lose, right? The amount of times I sold, I remember there was this one guy and he was asking about the Pinarello Dogma X Lite, which is like the most expensive production road bike in the world. Well, like one of the most expensive production road bikes in the world, right? And he was, he was talking about this bike and he's like, okay, yeah, 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 for sure. And is there a weight limit? I weigh 350 pounds. And I'm like, dude, good for you for getting out on the bike. I lost a lot of weight on the bike. Great way to do it. It's crazy that you're making me special order this extra light version of an already really light bike to save a hundred grams that you're spending $6,000 to do it. I'm like, dude, my, my brother, you have $50,000 worth of bike money that you could lose in a year, you know, off your body. Like, um, you don't need... I think on the high end, you don't need to spend ridiculous amounts of money to save a hundred grams. You don't need carbon fiber, you know, like brakes or, um, what was the the crazy one I saw the other day? Like the carbon pedals. I saw somebody was trying to figure out a way to get like a carbon spindle into a pedal. I saw an article about that. I'm like, no, you don't need that. You know, but on the flip side, if you weigh a hundred pounds and you're a little kid, even 150 pounds, a 30 pound bike is a huge percentage of your body weight. And that's, that's another reason like Dan and I like we have a kid with all the motivation in the world who works hard and everything. The bike can undercut you so darn bad and it sucks to see. So let's uh, uh, switch gears. A little. Uh, I, every time we do this podcast, I almost say that. I'm like, that just sounds like the worst pun ever. Cause I say that in other, I say, I say it like every day in other in contexts, other context, but, just, but here I'm just like, okay. uh, forgive us for the pun. Let's switch gears. <laughs> so let's talk about like hard tails versus 
full suspension. Right. And as a reminder, quick refresher there, hardtail means no rear suspension and front suspension. Full suspension means that both the, the frame has suspension built into it, and then you have a suspension fork out front. There are also rigid bikes out there for people who need to go to therapy. We're not going to talk about those. I don't think that they're right for what we're doing. Not that I think I've and ever And I think rigid forks are more expensive than... They're not more, but they're close. Do you know how I much... I think like they are more. They're it's... not more. Uh, most high-end forks these days are a grand. They kind of start at like 600 bucks. A nice rigid fork kind of tops out at 600 bucks. Okay. But still, you don't... If you're trying to save money, you don't get a rigid bike. That's not for people who are trying to save money. Yeah, that's for... That's... I don't even know. That's such a niche, weird thing. We're not... We're ta- we already talked about it too much. Um, again, full suspension, suspension on both wheels. Hardtail means there's only suspension in the front. No, you will never see the opposite. A bike that has a rigid... Well, actually, I did one time see a rigid fork full suspension okay let's not worry about that yeah let's not go to that dark place um but yeah those are the terms so <clears throat> i've seen arrow bars on an enduro bike too so we don't <laughs> wait wait oh wait no they weren't arrow bars they were flared gravel bars was it the one andrew showed us no it was they actually had an arrow bar on an enduro arrow bike yeah. like like a time trial extension it was just a little one just a clip on oh okay i thought you meant like an arrow like anyhow we're talking about bar. full suspensions hardtails yes yeah, full suspensions and hardtails Okay, so I personally am—I have a, a special place in my heart for hardtail bikes. As do I, I. I think they look. Dan and I both own full suspension and hardtail mountain bikes right now. I think they just look so sleek and sexy. Yes. I, and you get like when I go to like the national races, if someone pulls up on a hardtail bike they're a threat they are a threat yeah you look out for that and i'm like okay because this person not only do they have a super light bike they're obviously a very good bike handler too right right um i think i think hardtails are fun hardtails are buckets of fun in the right in the right yeah on some trails they're not they're not fun in moab no they're not fun to take to the top of snowbird and bring back down yeah but if if when you're like I have as like if I'm on a light hardtail, I have just as much fun, if not more fun, on the climb than I do descending. Corner Canyon, I prefer a hardtail. Yeah, I, yeah. Pretty much, Lot, it's lots Jacob's of parts on the, on everything other than Jacob's Ladder or uh, Maple Hollow and in, in Corner Canyon. I think a hardtail is, if not faster, more fun. And, and one thing I do want to point out about hardtails is kids that start out on hardtails tend. Or let me put it this way. The best bike handlers I know, the best youth bike handlers I know, all started out on hardtails. So you got squeamish about saying the first thing you were going to say, which is that like the best bike hand or what, how you were going to say first, like if you start on a hardtail, you'll be a better bike handler. And then you like qualified. I don't think you need to qualify. I think that's true. Yeah. I, I think that if you start out on a hardtail, it will be an advantage for you later. Yes. And, and, and so I should say, like, it's a bit of a history lesson to kind of understand the context of what we're talking about. Their full suspension mountain bikes have been around since, what, 2000-ish? Like, they became mainstream in the early 2000s. Fair? Yeah. Um, up until 20, maybe 2012, 2013, there were significant compromises associated with riding a full suspension they were unreliable and heavy and loud and like like heavy is kind of the big one it was really hard to make full suspensions lightweight and then like you had like the specialized epic that kind of revolutionized full suspensions by making a full suspension that was basically a hardtail um that's not really the case anymore full suspension bikes have become very good almost every single brand i could think of really every single mainstream bike brand that makes a full suspension 
makes a really good one, makes what would have been the best full suspension in the world 10 years ago. So the gap between full suspensions and hardtails has shrunk. The, the gulf in performance between full suspension and hardtails has shrunk. And Dan and I both agreed today that if you're spending more than what, six or seven yeah you shouldn't buy a seven thousand dollar hardtail is what we're trying to say well i if if, again if you're super rich and it's part of your quiver like there are really cool ten thousand dollar hardtails like you can like the specialized epic ht people get them down to 18 pounds i'm a i'm a simp for factor um they have a really really cool hardtail that's like eight thousand bucks i don't i don't think it's a wise decision it should be pretty far down your list if you can spend that much money get a full suspension and this is a question for you as like a nike coach and everything what's faster a full suspension or a hardtail because i have my answer i'm interested to hear yours you know it depends it depends generally though mo in most you know a nice full suspension versus a nice hardtail let's say yeah if it was like the same level of quality everything else was the same level of quality other than one was full suspension one was hardtail generally the full suspension would be faster in most places except maybe a nike course you know. Yes and no. Well, so like, except Nike courses, there's a lot of flat pedaling. If it's flat, rough pedaling, hardtails suck. That's yeah. that's a really rough place to ride a hardtail. If it's a smooth, like cross, like if it's a Nike course that's not rough, a hardtail's faster. If it was really climby, if there's a lot of climbing, mm-hmm. the hardtail could be yeah. faster. So, but in most cases, if if the quality was the same, uh, uh, everything about the bike was the same level of quality, other right. than one was full suspension, one was hardtail. Generally, the full suspension is going to be faster. Almost Even if though. the full suspension is a couple pounds heavier, I think most of the time the full suspension will average out to be faster. Now, but if you have, if you kind of switch things around a little bit and say you have a four thousand dollar, or we'll say a three thousand dollar hardtail yes. versus a three thousand dollar full suspension bike. Three thousand dollar hardtail will be faster every day of the week. Every day of the week. Yeah. yeah. I don't think you should buy a full suspension. Oh, let's see. A new full suspension. I, I wouldn't buy a new full suspension for less than five. Five. Yeah. I. That sounds high, but I. I. I think that's kind of true. Um, yeah, and bikes have kind of shut up in price since the pandemic for some reason. But well, everything has because yeah. you can price gouge now. Um, but yeah, like I. I think the short answer is if this is your first Nike season, if you're hoping to spend two thousand bucks, because like. And we should say, like, I helped you do side projects to afford my first good Nike bike. Like, we we know what it's like to be in the trenches, and like, this sport is really expensive and everything. If you've got two thousand bucks to spend, great, buy a hardtail. I will not endorse you buying a even a used two thousand dollar full suspension. I, is that fair? Is that too harsh? No, you know, and there's nothing about a hardtail to be ashamed of. I oh, I respect hardtail. I, right anytime right. someone shows up to national race on a on a hardtail, I'm like, ooh, you are be good. afraid of that guy. Yeah, you know, and like the other thing is like if you have good handling skills, you'll keep up on the hardtail and the descents just fine. Like. I, I don't know, man. I, I I can't I can't agree with that enough. Like when I see people on hardtails, it's not like a noob thing. It's like the opposite. You know, I'm not I'm not into the skiing world enough to think of an analogy, but like, you know, it's it's not like you said. It's certainly nothing to be ashamed of. Um, uh, yeah, because like the full suspension can kind of mask poor handling a little bit. Right. And and I think for some kids when they're first starting out, that doesn't help them out. No, like you're not, I don't think like you're descending hard enough. If you've got an 11 year old kid and they've never ridden before, they're not descending hard enough to really get anything out of a full suspension anyway. Now there is a point where, um, I've, I've seen this happen where riders are, 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 are like, are, are struggling in races because of a, a hardtail, you know, like if it's, 
a really technical nationals course, there's some of them where a hardtail will be a net disadvantage, even a nice one. Which is well, why we, a lot of the nationals courses though are actually really smooth. Like yeah. I would say national racing is where you see the most hardtails. Like in the, the California races, you know, the Southern that? Californians, they, they liked, at least in the past few years, have really liked to ride hardtails. Oh, the um, Europeans still do. All the you know, time. like the Missoula course, it's actually really smooth. It's steep. Right. But it's super smooth. Like, well, let um, me back. Like, like the Snowbird I Cup would I was, I was going to say it's the I Cups. And, and even, like, the, even Solitude with all, with all that yeah. climbing would, would be rough on a hardtail. Um, still very doable. And if it's, if it's your first season, do it. I think, I think everybody should do a few tours of duty on a hardtail. <laughs> um, but yeah, like at a certain point, um, if, if you can't ever put that much money into a full suspension, don't sweat it. But once you can start spending six, seven, eight thousand dollars by, by, you know, go fully. But like, there's that kind of weird spot between like five and six thousand dollars where it's like, you could go either way. And I think if you're in the middle there, that's a conversation about the trails yeah. you're riding more often. And this is kind of a cool thing about this spreadsheet Joe's done that you should, you should go check out if you are in the bike market. Cause it does it really weighs a lot of like the different components that the different bikes come with and, and it'll compare it to what the, the, the MSRP is on the bike. And you can kind of really see which, which bikes are a better value than other bikes. Right. But let me, um, let me ask you a question though, because, uh, what about like, what about buying used bikes? Yes. I was hoping you'd ask this. Um, I have bought used bikes before I bought, I bought several used bikes. Um, if you are bike literate, if, if you're listening to this and you read pink bike every single day and you could see a bike go by for two seconds and tell me what year it is and what component level it has, if you can tell me what the, uh, like max chain ring size is on a 2018 Cannondale FSI, if you're that much of a nerd, go for it. You'll, you'll know what to look for. If, if you are new to this, be very careful buying used unless it's from somewhere like the pros closet or. Um, so I would say what I would closet. say about that because I know that like you know like when you're talking about three four that's a lot of money it's a huge amount it's of money. a huge amount of money it's a car and um, you know I, I know that there are some people that are on tighter budgets than others and, and so I, I think that buying a used bike can be a great thing but you really have to proceed with caution yes um, like I wouldn't personally want to buy one of the bikes any of my boys have previously ridden because yeah. they because they ride them hard. Yep. I in, in fact, when we're done with bikes, I usually give them away because I feel I would feel bad charging money for what yeah. I know. Ride the heck out of them. We we ride the heck out of our bikes. Yeah. But I do know some people that like, you know, they'll buy a bike. They don't ride it very much. And yep. and the joke is the dentist who rides the bike two hundred miles and sells it for the new model. You know. That and that's what my first legit Nike bike was 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 almost that exactly. Um, so yeah, so you can really do well, but you have to proceed with caution. So I will say, if it's something like the pro, like I should explain, um, the pros closet is a really important part of the bike buying network in in the United States right now. They are a secondhand and overstock uh, bike um, uh, uh, seller. Uh, in the past, they had really, really ludicrously good prices. Their prices are okay now. And I should say, another thing with all of this is we are not sponsored by anyone in the bike world, right? We have, Maybird has like a, a ton of sponsors. In the past, we've, we had a thing with Cannondale, like we got a special deal on them. 
we are completely editorial. Dan and I have no obligations to anyone in the bike world right now. So I can, like my nuanced view on the pros closet is it's an entirely safe place to buy a bike. You'll get a bike that's high quality. You're not going to get a bike that has serious damage. It might be worn a little bit and have some chips in the paint, but it'll be a fundamentally good bike that's been looked over by a mechanic. Um, if you're straying into pink bike and KSL, that's where we run into problems. Yeah, um, you could you could potentially save a little bit more money, but you're it's a lot riskier. Like, so, like, would I buy a bike from KSL or the pros or like KSL or Pink Bike are the two big ones for folks around here. Pink Bike's like a an, a national one, even into Canada. KSL obviously is for the Utah market. Um, would I? Yes, but I'm an extremely bike literate person. I know what to look for, and I would go and check out the bike and be like, oh, okay, uh, now that I've seen it, no. Um, you know, if there have been instances in the past where people have said, hey, I need help finding a bike. And I've gone through KSL and Pink Bike, and I've sent them 10 different links for bikes. And I'm like, this at least looks worth checking out. Let me go with you to check this bike out. I don't have the bandwidth to do that anymore. If you find a bike on KSL or Pink Bike, and you want somebody to give you an initial gut check, I will look at it. In some cases, I might even be willing to go and check it out with you. But that's kind of what it takes is having to see the bike in person first. Um, you know, really check it, make sure the frame's not cracked, see if the wheels are in good shape. Because what you don't want is is the worst case scenario is to buy a bike that's like cracked or something where you're dealing with like a serious safety hazard or buying a bike where it's going to need $1,000 worth of love every year to keep it going. We're going to have to get all new spokes and get the wheels rebuilt and the drivetrain's completely destroyed and it has a derailleur hanger that's bent from a bike that nobody makes a derailleur hanger for anymore. You know, like, so like I definitely think, you know, I, I shop used a lot. I'd feel okay buying a used bike, but if you're new to this- Proceed with caution. Proceed with extreme caution and uh, ask us for help. We'll, we'll, I mean, we'll help you as much as we can if we have 60 people that need our help buying used bikes. Because trust know. me, we know, we're, I mean, we kind of do this on the cheap. I mean, I don't make a whole lot of money, and, right, you yeah. know, but- um, I'm a so we we to- grad with significant yeah, student Yeah, so we totally understand that not everyone has unlimited funds, mm-hmm. you know, but. But let me ask you another question. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Oh, that pun never gets old. Carry on. Uh, um, what about it, what about bike brands? Is there like does it matter? Like, is there a bike brand that's a like for instance, take take cars like Toyota. If you buy a Toyota, right it's going to be a good car, right? right? If you buy, there's other cars that you, that you could spend less money on, but like it, maybe like, like a Chrysler or something that might not be as reliable or something. Right. Does, is that the same with with bike brands? Uh, no asterisk <laughs> is my short answer to that. Um, if you are me and you're a really nerdy bike guy, like Andrew and I, Andrew, my little brother works at contender bikes. I just finished a half decade long span in the bike world. Andrew and I love to debate over whether Ibis or Santa Cruz is doing it better, and if Switch Infinity or DW Link is a better suspension system, if Orbea's Carbon is better than Scott's. Um, for most people, no, does not matter. Um, picking the right bike matters, and getting the right bike from a certain brand's lineup matters. Um, in in the bike world, I always tell people that carbon fiber manufacturing is a really fascinating industry. Um, if you buy a Specialized, Specialized did not make that bike. If you buy a Scott, Scott did not make that bike. Cannondale didn't either. The frame. The frame. And we should say too, that if you're very new to this, um, bike manufacturers usually, well, this isn't the case so much anymore, but usually they only make the frame and then sometimes they'll make, or they'll have their logo on the handlebar. You know, like a lot of brands will have, we call them in-house component brands. That didn't used to be the case so much, but it is kind of now like the big, like Specialized, 
Cannondale makes a lot of in-house. Specialized does almost everything now, except for drivetrains. In the drivetrain world and mountain bikes, there's only two big ones. There's Shimano and SRAM. I can't think of anybody else I know that has another brand's drivetrain. It's like 99.8% of the market is Shimano or SRAM. Um, everything else will come from a mix of either the, the frame manufacturer or um, like honestly a handful of other. It's not, it's not a very crowded industry for the most part. Um, but what I was saying there is like um, there are like three or four factories that actually make carbon bikes. Um, Giant, you might have heard of, is one of them. Um, I always joke that Giant makes 75% of all bikes, and that's probably a slight exaggeration, but it's, it's not that far Like off. worldwide, though. Worldwide. And, and this is where I'm, I'm going to jump. This is where the asterisk comes in. I don't have strong feelings about Specialized versus Trek versus Cannondale versus Canyon versus Scott versus BMC versus any of the others. Um, they all make bikes that are safe and that will do the job, they say. I can nitpick. I can say that I'm not a fan of Specialized Brain. I have reservations about Trek's 60 mil travel full suspension. I really don't like how Scott's doing headset routing. I think BMCs are a little overpriced. So there's we can nitpick. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't discourage you from buying any of those. The only thing I will discourage you from doing is buying an unbranded carbon frame on eBay or AliExpress or some other sketchy website. Um, saying that something is made of carbon fiber is kind of like saying it's made of metal. Um, nuclear reactors are made out of metal and paper clips are made out of metal. Um, carbon fiber is not one material. Um, and there are a lot of cases where somebody will either buy an unmarked frame off of AliExpress for 400 bucks, or they'll buy a knockoff S-Works is the one people always joke about. Pinarello is the brand that won the Tour de France five times with Team Sky. And the joke in the bike world is that people go out and buy a Chinarello. That's like, it says Pinarello on it, but it's not a real one. Um, that is dangerous. Um, if those brands were centered in the United States, I would advocate for prosecuting the people who run them because they're selling things that kill people. Um, I always tell the really sad story of a guy I work with who worked at a bike shop in Georgia. And they had this old gentleman who frequented their shop and he was shopping for a bike and he was, uh, you know, not a super wealthy guy, but liked nice stuff. And he said that he'd come into the shop and he was looking at a few. They were, uh, I think they were a Cannondale or Trek dealer. And he'd showed him their road bike and he was like, oh, that's, that's a lot of money. I don't know. Let me think about it. And the next day he came into the shop with, I believe it was, it said Bianchi on it, which is like a really high-end Italian bike manufacturer. He's like, look at this bike. I found this frame online for 700 bucks. And my buddy panics. He's like, it's, it's, that's not real. That's, that's somebody's made, a, a, they've taken a, a, some kind of mold and made a really cheap carbon bike. And he's like, that's, that's not safe. And he said there was a, a little altercation where he said, I'm not working on that bike. I, I'll have nothing to do with it. It's not safe. And the guy got upset and said, screw you guys. You're just trying to sell me an overpriced bike. And um, he died later that week on a bike ride. They found him on a canyon and he'd hit, it appeared that he'd hit some kind of a bump and the head tube of the bike had sheared off and this guy had a fatal accident. Um, and that's an extreme case, but um, I have had people ask me before, hey, they're all coming out of the same factories anyway. I found this one, it's an unmarked, I don't care about all the fancy schmancy brand stuff. You know, To that person, I would say, buy a used bike from a real bike manufacturer. Like, this sounds really grim, buy it from someone you could sue, not just some dude in China. That's where, and that's where most of the manufacturing happens. And I will say, there are terrific, excellent carbon fiber frame manufacturers in China. Like a bike saying, a sticker saying made in China on my bike does nothing to me. As long as that bike also says Trek or Specialized or Cannondale or another brand with a website. <laughs> um, there's some kind of discussions about 
new startup brands, um, I'll throw out like Spry and Jibe are, are two that I'm familiar with. I cannot comment to where their frames are coming from. I will say they're probably safe. And I um, think they are. And, and, and I think that they do have companies that are concerned about safety. Right. Not probably and safe. Those are safe. Yeah, they're safe. I'd ride them. I yeah, know, yeah. I, I, I know great. And like, like Fazari probably is there. Fazari's, they're big enough now that they're. Uh, yeah, yeah, like these companies, they're big enough companies. They're, they're locally based and they do, they have like done their homework to source products that are safe. Are safe. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so like if people come to me and I'm like, I, I'm probably never going to buy a Spry. Um, you know, Spry, and I understand the gentleman who does it is, is, a, is a bike whiz. The guy's a genius. But I'm, I'm, at the end of the day, Specialized has 25 bike geniuses designing one tube of the bike. You know, and it's like, if you want to support small businesses and stuff, all for it. But from a performance You know, and most of the customers I talk to are really happy. Are, are happy. Yeah, and and so. like and Spry in, in particular, because that's honestly the one we're, we're going to see the most. Um, those are bikes that'll, that win Nike races. Oh yeah. They, but I don't, I don't like Chris Hawley's riding. Like they've got a lot of really yeah, good riders on those, but there is something that you're paying. Like, it's not this giant conspiracy where everyone who's not spry is ripping you off. There is a reason that other brands can charge more. It's because they have a reputation. They've been doing it well for a long time, you know? Um, so, so, so basically to kind of sum up what you just said is that really the brand you get isn't the most important thing, but actually no. looking at what different components and what types of wheels and what you're kind of getting Correct. in the whole package is important. And that could be a track or it could be sure. a Scott or it could be Nerds can a giant, it, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and so a lot of it might just depend on what like your local bike shop can get you a better discount on. Right. And the, um, the only thing I will say, and I, I hope, and we can cut this if you're not okay with me saying something this strong. I, I, you can't ride with Maybird on a, on like a catalog frame or something. Yeah. Like if you're buying it from AliExpress or eBay and it's a fake, I, no, yeah, don't, we want, we don't, we want, we don't want to ride with you. We don't want to have, we don't want to deal with the liability. It's unsafe. Don't do it. Don't let your kids do I it. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Like the, the bike company you buy from should at least have a website. Yep. It, it should be. And again, this sounds so grim. It should be someone you could sue. You can't sue some unnamed, you know, douchebag seller from somewhere in China on AliExpress and there's no recourse when you okay. die. And well, or, this got grim really I'm quickly. sorry, but it so. is. This is this is the one part of this episode I'm be really serious about. This goes for handlebars too. Don't buy the $25 MV handlebars on AliExpress. They're fake. You know, this is a huge, there are counterfeit carbon experts in the bike world. That's a you know, whole job. And kind of along these lines, um, so I've bought used bikes before and I've yes. bought bikes from, well, I'll just throw out the name, Contender, you know. Right, right. And you, although you might pay a little bit more when you when you buy it from like a Contender or a Go Ride or mm -hmm. one of our local bike shops that we love so much. Right. But, you know, if you do have any problems, they're, they they'll, really do take good care of you. Care if, of you. You know, if you're buying one from KSL, you kind of are on your own. And right. bike shops will still take care of you, but... Or if, like, God forbid, you're riding your used bike and it cracks, there's nothing you can happen. We're like, if you're riding a Canyon and it cracks, you'll at least get a discount on a new one, depending on they'll investigate and see if it was your fault or if it was a manufacturing fault. But well, warranties matter. You know, we, um, we took Jacob's Cannondale into Contender we had no idea his frame had a little crack in it. One of the mechanics noticed a crack mm -hmm. and he could tell that the bike hadn't been crashed or anything. Right. And um, they worked with Cannondale and got us a new frame. And we didn't You're even... not going to promise that's going to happen. Yeah, but you know, um, but yeah, we were taken care of because... But on the flip side, every once in a while, somebody on pink bikes like, I got eight bikes. I'm never riding this one. I'll throw it. I just need to get it out of the way, right? You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting another car, you know, like... 
my husband wants to park in this spot and this bike's there, you know, like I need to sell one of my bikes, right? And they sell it for some crazy price and then you get a crazy good hookup where you save 2000 bucks. Great, yeah, go for there it. Are t- there are totally times when used works um, and I've kind of, I like I'm shopping for a bike right now, I'm considering new and used options. Okay. Kind of my short answer. I don't do well, short answers, do I? No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean... If I'm if sorry. we let this episode go as long as Joe would let it, you, we're at an hour and seven yeah, I'm just minutes. like, and <laughs> Joe's like, I'm just getting warmed up. Oh, now yeah. let's um, let's wrap it up. Just I've got one more question okay. for Joe. It's a really important question, but first, let me just remind you that you know if you are in the market for a bike, I get a lot of people that that will ask me my opinion. I'll give you my opinion. A lot of times, I'll even forward it on to Joe to get a, like an actual educated opinion. Um, but we are happy to help make sure that, you know, you're, you're investing your money wisely. It's a, it's probably one of the best investments you'll ever make. Like my bikes are the, probably some of the best financial investments I've ever made because it has done so much for my health and my sanity and yeah, probably added literally added, added years to my yeah. life. So it's, it's a really good investment, but it is expensive. We want to help make sure it's, it's done as prudently as possible. Um, so yeah, we're there to help. I, I do want to ask a really important question, Joe. Um, so Joe, can a good bike make up for poor fitness? No. Okay. No, it can't. The, the classic question you always ask is what bike would I have to put Nino Schurter on for me to beat him in a race? You know, and it's the, it's, it's not a specialized versus a track. It's like a Kmart bike versus a $13,000 pivot or something, you know, like, yeah. So you can, you can like, like this, this helps. Um, but can I give my parting thought on that really quick? If you're on this team, it's because you love cycling and, and cycling is important to you from a lifestyle perspective. You're on this team. It's because you go home from work or school and you want to get on your bike as soon as you can and go and ride. You're going to spend a lot of time on this bike. You're going to spend almost as much time on this bike as you do in your bed. And you should love riding it. It should be comfortable. It should be fit. You're riding. I mean, you're riding eight to 10 hours a day. Dang it. Like I know everyone knows that was supposed to be a joke and you okay. laugh at all. But the point is you're spending a lot of time on it. It should be a good piece of equipment. And we didn't mention like bike fit. Like you have to make sure you get the right size and everything. Right. Um, yeah. Like you should, you sh- it should be a piece of gear that you're thoughtful about. I don't like it when people are like, I'm too chill to care what bike I'm riding. I'll ride anything or whatever. I'm like, no, then you don't love this as much as I do. If you love this as much as I do, you'll, you'll, and not just like pick the right gear. You'll take care of your gear. Like, Maybird kids don't leave their bike on the lawn. You don't lay your bike down to railer side down. You know, like you don't, I don't know, like throw it in the back of your car with three other, like, you know, it's, it, you respect the machine. Right? You maintain so, it. You, you lubricate it frequently. And, and yes, you clean spend it. money on it. Yeah. I, we, we, we dance around that, but like, this is expensive. Um, we can help you figure out ways to make it, you know, reasonable. But um, yeah, I will say in parting, um, I'm happy to help anybody. I've found that this time of year, my text volume gets a little too high and things slip through the cracks. Um, if you have questions, uh, please reach out to me via my personal email, which is joedraper98 at gmail. You can also email the Maybird, Maybird Cycling at gmail. That'll probably take us a little longer to get to. If you're already communicating with Dan, um, he can help answer questions or forward them on to me. We're happy to help. Uh, like I said, in the past, I've been able to be really involved with people's uh, used bike buying uh, crusades. Depending on the volume we have, I may or may not be able to go look for you on my own, but I'm always happy to be like, Hey, could you gut check me on this bike? And I'll at least say eliminate it or continue with caution, you know? Um, so 
hit me up. Uh, if there is demand for it, I'm happy to do like a super one-on-one level what is a cross-country bike kind of seminar that we can record on Zoom with a PowerPoint if that sounds like something that would be interesting or useful to people. So, um, yeah, communicate uh, your needs with us. Yeah, and let's let's throw in a magic word of the day. Ah, yeah, you want to we'll switch roles. What's the magic word of the oh, day? Oh, gosh. Uh, supermarket? Supermarket is the magic word of the day. Um, I've enjoyed, there are several people who text me there's all the time and I feel bad because I sometimes get caught up at work and don't respond. But like, I know who you are and I know that you're a super fan. And if we ever go super famous someday, I'll invite <laughs> you onto my yacht. Um, uh, and yeah, so like I said, communicate your needs. Um, and uh, yeah, I cannot wait for this riding season. Oh, me neither. This is going to be great. Ready for the meeting tomorrow? I'm, nope, I'm not. So I'm going to okay. go get ready for it. All right. We'll talk to you soon, folks.